2: to the household Black Forum. It's yes. November 23rd, 2013, y'all. This year is just about gone, y'all. We're looking at Thanksgiving here coming up uh, next Thursday. Wow. Uh, welcome to the household Black Forum. The Cyberface. What a Cyberface. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up, Haskell. <laughs> hey, don't start no stuff out here tonight. <laughs> Hey, this is going to be a crazy show, y'all. Welcome to the Hushbo Black Forum, where our motto is to do it bigger, to do it better, to do it longer. Not a necessity. Sometimes we'll do it louder. Yeah, we don't, we don't like to, but we sometimes have to. to, to uh, we advocate for uh, social justice. We don't love everybody. We love everybody extension and we uh find ourselves out here uh trying to really to provide a platform for our uh ninety percent of our community who uh who otherwise just sell uh heard do out here on the Hustle Black platform try to uh, make sense of uh the things in the country that just uh, make no sense. Uh, this uh, 50th anniversary commemorating the uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy is, uh, well, one of those things that didn't make any sense way back then. Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was a young Marine. A young Marine out uh, down at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, one Marine Corps' biggest base uh houses the 2nd Marine Division, 2nd Marv did, as they We were out on a field exercise. I've been out there in, uh, in the woods for a mere week or something like that. It was Friday. We were ready to come in, but, I mean, the lieutenant, uh, called everybody t- together. Start crying, was crying about something. We didn't know what the heck was going on out there in the woods at that time. They told us that the president had been shot. Everything was canceled. We're getting up out of these woods right now, going back to the barracks. And from that point on, I guess that rest of the weekend, we were pretty well on lockdown there uh, at the Camp Lejeune, on alert, high alert. These up are what... Uh, Over the following Thanksgiving, in fact, I think they even came home that following Thanksgiving. Uh, Wow, it was just a a real type of a thing there uh, with the assassination of uh, President Kennedy back then. Uh, Just a devastating blow to to morale over the country at that time. Uh, You know, we we grew up in a bunch of of stuff was going on back then, too. The Civil Rights Movement was red in it and the sticker things and uh he had put forth a civil rights uh bill in the Congress and you know, trying times. We you know, we uh, much like much like that uh length Lincoln's uh second uh term uh That Civil War was dragging on, and he's sort of come to grips with uh, that thing. We uh, still conclude that, uh, uh, well, not conclude, but I'm just befuddled, that uh, Steve Spielberg's uh, movie, Lincoln, didn't include uh, him giving the second inaugural address in the middle of it, that over that time span the last three months do you think as important as a dress as history has enabled uh, uh, well emboldened boldened, uh, it to be that uh, you must have to included in a movie that covers uh, the last many days of his life You, I could not, I, I still, sorry about Lincoln without including that uh, second inaugural press in and, uh, and hindsight, I mean, looking back at history, no way could you leave it out, I mean, wow. Wow. Oh, wow. People don't want to come to grips with uh, today they don't want to come to driving that uh, what was driving that thing at the time? That civil war. I mean it was you know, Lincoln Lincoln had uh, really lost control of uh, Lincoln, Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee, Grant all the folks had lost control of uh, that Civil War. By the by the time that movie started, that period of uh, time, January fifteenth, eighteen sixty-five, five years by then, and the six hundred thousand people dead, so says the movie, and some six hundred thousand people dead, and the war was still. That war was still raging on. Yeah. Still raising uh uh you yeah. He didn't know. Lincoln, so he didn't know how he, was born, man. he he didn't he didn't know. <coughs> but, uh, By the time uh, March 4th rolled around, he knew all uh, well what was going on. In, in fact, the thing that surprised me most, he went to start out with them having nightmares about uh, something. He's waking up having nightmares about uh, uh, under the strain and stress of uh, that Civil War that uh, he was conducting. <coughs> or at least on the Union part, and uh, the dying and the suffering that had went on for the last five years, uh, uh, this thing uh, seemingly uh, out of control. He was having nightmares, uh, having one of those Nebuchadnezzar-type uh, uh, experiences where he needed help with uh, trying to figure out exactly what it was that uh, this dream uh, was about. Yeah, just exactly what it was that this dream was all about. You know, he didn't know. He went to his wife, Mary. uh, That's what the believers
1: said. I I think it was from
2: Daniel. (laughs) You know, Daniel's good at uh, deciphering dreams. That's who uh, (coughs) you You all remember the story in the Old Testament. That's who uh, King Nebuchadnezzar called. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, yeah. (coughs) He called on uh, Daniel come tell him what that dream uh, was about that he was giving him all uh, the man upstairs man upstairs trying to tell him something was trying to tell him something he didn't know uh, thinking when that movie started then uh, he couldn't get a handle on exactly what was going on he knew he was close to it <laughs> but uh, in that second novel address he laid it out and for some reason Spielberg, or perhaps the writer of the book, somebody told me uh, that uh, he took the movie uh, from the book I He had to look at the book and see exactly if the author really did uh, leave that out for a reason. You know, it was such a such a great, great uh, uh, novel address. Uh, Staying there. Uh, state of the union at that time or the state of the nation really at that uh, point in time and what it uh, uh, transpired in that war and where we were uh, in the war at that time. But, uh, they're uh, uh, highlighting at every opportunity in that movie. Senate the house that covered right over that uh, period of time. But, uh, I'm going to share with you that second uh, novel address here. I'm going to quote from uh, Mr. Abraham Lincoln. Fellow countrymen. At this second appearing to take the oath of the presidential office, there is less occasion for an extended address than there was at the first. Then a statement somewhat in detail of a course to be pursued seemed fitting and proper. Now at the expiration of four years during which public declarations have been constantly called forth on every point important phase of the great contest which still absorbs the attention and engrosses the energies of the nation. Little that is new could be presented. The progress of our arms upon which all else chiefly depends is as well known to the public as to myself and it is, I trust, reasonably satisfactory and encouraging to all. with high hopes for the future no predictions in regard to it is ventured on the occasion corresponding to this four years ago all thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war all dreaded it all sought to avert it while the inaugural address was being delivered from this place devoted altogether to saving the union.
1: Without war,
2: urgent agents were in the city seeking to destroy it without war, seeking to dissolve the union, and a bad effects by negotiation. Both parties appreciated the war. But one of them would rather make war rather than let the nation survive. And the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. One-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted a peculiar and powerful interest. all knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war. To strengthen, perpetuate, and extend this interest was the object for which the insurgents would rend the Union even by war. While the government claimed no right to do more than to restrict the territorial enlargement of it. Neither party expected For the war, the magnitude or the duration which it has already attained, neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with or even before the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for easier triumphs and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and prayed to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any man should dare to ask the just God assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has His own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh as we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which in the providence of God must needs come, but which having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that, the, and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as a woe-do by those by whom the offense came. <laughs> shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in the living God always ascribe to him? Finally, do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills, that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago. So still it must be said the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and last in peace among ourselves and with all nations. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's uh that's A. Blinken's second and address i address said here, uh just dripped out at it. it so heavy, uh uh Yeah. He a uh, man had uh had Dollars control of that thing. They uh had no idea. Started out in eighteen sixty one that uh, that thing was gonna cost some six hundred thousand Americans their lives. To free some uh, some African slaves uh, down there in the South, uh, but uh, oh no, they never would have done it if they could have could have uh, saw ahead of time that uh, that was going to be helpful to Come, uh, we still be in slavery down here, y'all. Hey, <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> we, <laughs> we 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 might still be a slavery here, y'all. Oh yeah but uh, be that as it may no uh, just a great great uh, uh outpouring of uh of, uh, uh of emotion there in that second inaugural address uh, explaining uh Uh, what had transpired and where we were uh, in the country at that time. Yeah, y'all saw the movie. If anybody saw that movie, yeah, that's what it was about. He was having nightmares about that thir- getting that 13th Amendment enacted into the Constitution. But, uh, yeah, uh, the man upstairs was <laughs> telling them all the that That, uh, that thing, of, uh, that institutional slavery y'all uh, got going on, man, that thing got to end. That thing's got to end uh, we you know uh, this one's gonna go on until it does, end. and uh that's what it was all about, you yeah? know, yeah, he well, he got it done, he twisted some arms, I mean, scared some people, <laughs> did a lot of politics to get that thing done uh who's the guy, Speaker of the House, was that uh Betty Stevens? on uh, uh, majority whip or whatever in that house. He, he uh, got the votes necessary to pass that 13th Amendment, yeah. That war came to an end, too, after they did. Yeah. After Congress passed that 13th Amendment, and abolished the slavery. That's the war came to an end shortly after that. Yeah, that's what that whole thing was about, yeah. Legals had a name there about oh, the man upstairs. Had the long run um, of uh, God Almighty. The long arm of God Almighty uh, was driving that thing. I like the part where he said that uh, both the north and south was praying to God, the same God, uh, for uh, trying to invoke His help uh, against the other side. Hey, that was <laughs> yeah. He 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 kind of he kind of stepped over the fact that uh, the five million uh, slaves. Was praying to, uh, the same God too? Yeah, <laughs> uh, y'all don't know. <laughs> hey, the five million black slaves was praying to the same God for their salvation, y'all, back there during that time. Yeah, God heard that. Yeah. yeah, but uh, God couldn't answer, <laughs> couldn't uh, answer both. Yeah, but the third one, yeah, he helped, he, he emancipated those uh, black folks. Yeah. He hasn't there. People, uh, the Christians here in the country, uh, the Christian nation, whoever, you know, they, they, uh, were not fully, uh, they didn't fully believe in, uh, they didn't fully believe in, uh. uh their Christian religion. They couldn't. They they no only formed to the founders and the uh some of the Protestant sects that had broke off from the I guess it says the Anglican church over there. They they didn't really take the the teachings of uh Christianity serious. Not not with the uh they claim to be Christians, they just didn't follow uh the doctrines of uh their own religion. So that that's uh they didn't follow the uh they uh The converted uh, African, they bought into it. <laughs> hey, they bought into a lot sick sinking, I wouldn't land. <laughs> they bought into it, y'all. They started praying to the man upstairs, and they started, yeah. And he answered them. Oh yeah, he did. He came to the. He brought that thing to an end want some blood was shit. But he brought that thing to an end, know. Yeah. Right now today. I mean, yeah, the remnants of uh, slavery, uh the, the one of the outshoots of it racism, yeah, that thing's a bad. That that thing is alive, know. Yeah. Damn a slow death, but still alive here in the country and the remnants of it is uh front and center with this uh president with uh President of African descent here. Uh, He's getting here. Mainly, uh, well, not mainly. I mean, a lot of things going on. But, uh, yeah, his main problem is the 20% of the majority who's a racist. Who can't, uh, who'd rather bring the country down. Who'd rather bring the country down to... uh, uh, rather than work with uh, this president and uh, build a country up, they'd rather bring this country down. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's amazing how, uh, it's just amazing how, uh, what's going on in the country today. My new book, y'all. Uh, Racism and hate in American reality coming out at just shortly. Uh, talks about it, racism and hate. I mean, what's, uh, uh, chronically, my family's history here in Georgia was go back some two hundred and thirty years, from uh, back to seventeen eighty four. That's where I started. It probably, uh, <coughs> probably go back to seventeen seventy six. Uh, you know, twelve years prior to that, and just uh, I started with uh, the birth of my great-great-granddaddy uh, Dan Cameron's mother, Sarah. My great-great-granddaddy uh, Dan Cameron was born in 1820, but his mother, Sarah, was born in uh, 1784 down in Troop County, in Georgia, down in Georgia,
1: yeah? here in Georgia.
2: Yeah, family, so my family go back here before uh, the Constitution. Before the Constitution. <laughs> so... We, we are indigenous to uh, the United States of America, my people are. Not, not, you know, not North America, not the continent of North America, but to the country itself, the formation of this country. We are uh, indigenous to it. The folks that uh, had uh, my ancestors enslaved, the Cameron, the White Cameras clan from uh, Ireland and Scotland over that way, uh, they were here during the Revolution. They were here during the revolution, so there's a good chance that we were here uh during that revolution. Uh, uh my ancestors. But for sure, uh, uh seventeen eighty four, uh before the constitution. So we, we're indigenous, uh, people, we're not immigrants, here. Yeah. Oh no, we're slaves, but we are not immigrants to this country. So we we got a lot of uh equity equity in uh, built up into uh United States of America. Oh absolutely. I'm two what, what two hundred and thirty four years old as a country. <laughs> we we got we got uh we got quite a bit of equity built up uh, into uh, the uh foreman of this country, uh Mary of Africanist. You know, we we like uh somebody's people, who was at uh San some of those people came over here from Italy in 1890. She, by the time his ancestors so got here in 1890, we've been here 200 years. No We've been here 200 years by the he So, yeah, he, he's an immigrant. There's a lot of different uh, um, European immigrants uh, that came to the country way after the Africans uh, got here uh, that are immigrants. But uh, uh but I talk about it. I talk about how uh uh racism has played a uh, humongous uh, part in uh our family's history here. And uh it ties that right into uh, what's going on in the country today uh dealing with the this president uh, and how uh how crazy uh, eerily similar uh, this uh, uh time is uh when you compare it to uh, uh the period after the Civil War. Especially uh, during the administration of uh Ulysses S. 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 Grant uh, during his administration there uh when uh, uh There was a Democrat, Southern D- Dixie Crescent at that time, brought the uh, government to a, a standstill. Brought the government to a standstill. Brought on the longest, uh, uh, depression the country has seen up to that point. Depression last last something 12 years. but uh, uh, 17, uh, 1876, they had shut the government down almost. Pretty much just like, uh, what's occurring with this, uh, extremist, uh, 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 republicans now made up of mostly southern Dixocrats by the way the same the same people same ideology is at play here, yeah, except in eighteen seventy six it was a radical uh extremist uh, uh Democrats uh from the south who uh sought to uh shut the government down because Uh, uh, they believe that the federal government was uh, uh, trying to uh, empower these ex-black slaves with uh, land and uh, uh, some of their wealth. They shut the government down. And a lot of it has to do with that uh, 46 million acres that uh, was set aside in the uh, Southern Homestead Act that I write about. Uh, that uh we stayed on the books uh of Congress here uh, some ten years from eighteen uh sixty six until uh eighteen seventy six uh, forty six million acres set aside for ex slaves and poor, and poor, uh whites had access to it too long as they' fighting that civil war but they uh some uh, but uh, no that be prevented uh some forty three million of uh, uh acres of that forty six million from being distributed and, and uh uh repealed the law off the books and returned the land to the federal government who in turn uh, uh wound up redistributing it to all uh Carpetbaggers who uh, uh, made billions uh, uh, in the uh, with the chimneys and stuff off of
1: that property. Period.
2: One of the most serious uh, injustices of the government. After the Civil War that uh, transpired. The repeal of and the prevention of, the prevention of, uh, uh, the repeal of, that's how the Homestead Act, the prevention, by preventing the uh, the ex slaves from gaining access to that thing through the separate equal laws and all the other. Uh, uh, pressure from uh, the society here in the South uh, was one of the greatest injustices that uh, that the uh, same you know, experienced here after uh, being emancipated there in 1865 we have not recovered from that economically, from uh, the denial of uh, that property. We have never recovered from uh, the denial of that 46 million acres set aside in the Southern Homestead Act. Uh, We have never recovered from the other Jim Crow laws that deprived us uh, equal opportunity in the workplace. Uh, and uh, uh, the country has to come to grips with because it it's all tied into uh, not just the betterment of me or uh, or black people. That's why it's thing's tied into uh, the betterment of uh, the country as a whole. You can't uh, <laughs> you can't deny uh, the. Uh, the equal advancement of uh, any part of uh, the society without affecting the entire society—it it just uh, is impossible. And when I asked for reparation, I broke it down. I had a little—I uh, came up with a little for- formula in my book, uh, talking about how beneficial uh, 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 it would be for the nation to pay Americans back from the city born proud in, 1854. Financial reparation, which they uh, uh, deserve for being injured by a uh, policy, And I had an old formula there that uh, showing some, uh, I don't know, $200 or $400 billion coming into the black community. <laughs> and uh, how it would uh, prop up the, uh, the economy. it would do great things for the economy because, first of all, Uh, Those uh, born uh, prior to 1954 who would be party to uh, such a a fast action, most of them live in the South and are poor, old black people who would spend that money right back into the economy as fast as they got their hands on it. But, uh, yeah, so it would be a big boom to the economy. And, uh, oh, no, it wouldn't pay the full debt, let me tell you that, (laughs) right now. But uh, uh, it would be a small gesture toward uh, satisfying that death that American uh, I Reckman said had every right to get after Brown to return uh, Plessy and the laws that had uh, been put in place throughout the South and indeed codified by Plessy International Law in 1896 and that thing went, oh yeah when they drug home Plessy off that train I mean, down in Louisiana And they drove him off that train. That was again to uh, dragging me and my family uh, out of uh, American society. That was like dragging me out of uh, the greater American society just because of my color. No other reason. Not because I didn't have talent or uh, anything else to uh, exist within the uh, society, but just because of uh, this anti amalgamation doctrine uh, that uh, uh was pervasive at the time <laughs> yeah this anti amalgamation thing and yeah. this uh, um, this uh fear of uh uh race mixing as uh, they say. As they put it back then, I mean, they didn't, uh oh, not mind the men and men uh a <laughs> little race mixing the white uh, gentlemen the men, a little race mixing with uh, they was uh uh mixing with the uh the black females. they just couldn't see that thing going another way. <laughs> the black males mixing with uh, the white ladies so <laughs> uh, they't mind maintaining their white blood as long as they did the tainting. <laughs> somehow it was all right if that white male uh, uh produced offspring from a black uh female. But uh, they didn't want uh that white female to produce no offspring from a black male somehow that was uh that was more uh, detrimental to their uh uh to the purity of their uh, blood, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. If, you know, you come about that uh, one drop of black blood. is will make <laughs> make you not white. I don't know. I, I, if I was white, I would. I don't think I'd, I. I wouldn't buy that argument. I think I'd be a little. My uh, DNA would be a little more stronger uh, to withstand at least a drop of black blood. <laughs> hey, hey uh, I don't know, but uh, yeah. That whole thing in the liberal uh of the south, according to dr green all back then was there was two uh they had a liberal uh white constituency here in the south during that period in a in a, in a conservative but the white liberals in the south uh, while uh championing, uh, championing, uh rights for blacks, uh, they drew the line at uh, social equality. Oh, yeah, they drew the line at this uh, uh, (laughs) uh, anti-amalgamation thing here. They did not want that uh, uh, race-mixing thing, you know, the social level. Now, they didn't mind you being equal under the law for everything else, but they didn't want that uh, race-mixing thing, so even the liberals... (laughs) Uh, uh 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 drew a line which further complicated uh, our uh, our uh, ability to uh to keep up economically here that enabled uh, uh the fa- uh the fact that uh, the liberal even the liberal whites in the south who uh was indifferent really to uh, uh but they're uh, maybe racist brother, you know, white families might be uh just uh uh four races in the family and and four liberals. They'd acquiesce a lot to uh the racism of their uh, uh family members. but then uh, you know, it wasn't, uh wasn't too uh, uh, uh when it comes to social when it comes to social issues. And so with a lot of the whites in the North, by the way. They formed, oh, yeah, after uh, 1876, that North and the South. uh, The whites in the North, the white industrial uh, folks up there, the powers that be, they were in on that uh, anti-amalgamation thing, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They uh, was against uh, this uh, race-mixing thing. So, yeah, when just the uh, South, that was uh, uh, in the North, too. Now, they treated uh, 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 a lot of uh, issues different, uh, a lot uh, differently than they did in the South. But uh, when it came to uh, social equality, true social equality, the whites in the North, uh, they had uh, 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 a land (laughs) That they drew when it comes to social issues and race this, mixing, that uh help keep uh, uh separate legal laws in place all that no yeah, the indifference of uh, the north to uh the democrats in the south uh yeah they uh, just to get along. they uh, went along to get along, maybe uh, in a lot of instances here. the north the uh, republicans white republicans or whatever. Uh, they went along to get along in a lot of instances to gain uh, southern support for a lot of their uh, policies and stuff that benefited the uh, northern industry. They remember they needed uh, one they They relied uh, heavily on uh, the raw materials uh, uh, of the south. Cheap labor coming from the south that produced uh, cheap uh, raw material for their industries. Huh? Yeah. So they had a, uh, a stake in uh, keeping uh, they had a real big uh, stake in keeping uh, after the Civil War, keeping uh, for one thing uh, black labor cheap, as close to slave labor as possible. Oh yeah, the northern industrialists uh, uh, um, did. And uh, so uh by seventeen seventy six they had gotten uh fed up with the uh, reconstruction and stuff and they were ready to uh uh let the the newfound uh industrial complex here in the country take off. Uh and uh they needed uh, they needed to make some kind of deal with the whites in the south. To uh start uh shipping them raw materials back up north again at uh that cost uh, for those materials stayed at a, as low a price as uh, they could possibly get. So, yeah, they was in cahoots with the, uh, the old uh, uh, slave labor laws that existed after the Civil War, <laughs> the separate evil stuff. They was in cahoots with that. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, hey, y'all. We rambling on here, y'all. It's <laughs> about... Uh, wow, we've been going forty-four. <laughs> we've been going forty-five minutes. So it's about time. Uh, wow. Mm-hmm. Thirteen minutes to uh, eight o'clock, here, y'all. We're gonna take a pause for the calls here. Y'all. We'll be right back. Uh, y'all, hang in there. You got me in the Hushmo here.
1: Uh, Advocated on your behalf. You're listening to the Hushmo Black Phone. Tell your friends about us. Saturday.
2: 8 o'clock in the ATL, you yeah. We, uh, last week we, uh, we're going to get back into, uh, where we left off last week. We were talking about, uh, my new book, uh, Racism and Hate, and we were, uh, we got into a, uh, An essay done by, or a summary, a summary write-up done by W. E. B. Du Bois that uh, he had uh, put together uh, to present to the United Nations in 1947, dealing with the uh, conditions of American Americans of African descent here in the country back then. Uh, this is 1947. Now, this, uh, some seven years before Brown overturned. Uh, Plessy and the Separate Equal Laws. He uh, 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 on behest of uh, the NAACP, by the way, uh, they had been fighting uh, the overthrow of uh, just laws of, uh, uh, that Plessy uh, held in place here for some uh, over 50 years at that point. Oh yeah, from eighteen ninety six. Just uh, uh the laws of Pleasant held together, which is you know, I mean laws that have been in place since uh uh eighteen sixty six here yeah, uh, in the South, uh depriving uh Americans of Africans said to uh uh equal justice. Really? Sort of not it. yeah, just 14th uh, mm-hmm. Amendment rights taken away. Uh and uh uh but he had uh, he, he uh composed this uh manuscript uh, really a major uh uh, manual, uh write up on uh, discrimination against uh, the negro for three centuries with the title of the main uh uh, work that the body of work that he had done, three centuries of discrimination against the Negro was And uh from that he uh from that he uh uh, uh drew up a summary to uh, present to uh, the United Nations in nineteen forty seven. Remember the United Nations was a newly formed uh a body, uh, uh, at that time, shortly, uh, after World War II, uh, uh, 1947-ish, you know, they were doing, they had a human rights uh, section, though, which was, uh, they created to deal with, uh, genocide within, uh, its, uh, nations and, uh, racism and all that stuff, and, uh, you know, discrimination within, uh, its, its uh, nations. um, Dylan mainly at that time with uh, uh, the treatment that had, uh, went on with the Jews in Germany, the millions of people who had been uh, gassed over there during that Second World War and stuff. So, yeah, that was all about uh, racism, xenophobia, uh, more so than that man. But, uh, yeah, uh, so uh, the NAACP thought this would be the perfect... Uh, this would be the perfect uh time to uh to take this thing to uh the United Nations, this newly formed body, uh world body of member nations here. Some I don't know, hundred uh, how many how many members they had back then, some oh, in this formation I guess uh, you know, eighty some nations here uh, was part of the United Nations back then uh good uh portion of the world uh countries uh, was there in New the, York. Uh, uh, just a quick great, great uh a take on where the country was in terms of uh uh American vacuum descent uh and I'm gonna I'm gonna continue reading uh reading the per verbatim here this evening. There. It's just such a great, great uh, piece of work, and then we're going to come back and dissect that thing when I get through with it a little more. It's in my book, though. Uh, yeah, the NAACP gave me a uh, permission to uh, reprint it. It's a rare, rare uh, document, uh, rare, rare piece of work. I remember now, W. E. B. Du Bois. This guy, this guy must have published or written. Uh, over two thousand articles, books, manuscripts, plays, uh you name it. This guy was a prolific, prolific writer, yeah. Y'all know Doctor DeBoer. This guy was our great one of our greatest uh sociologist, y'all. He got more nobody studied the uh American uh Negro, if you will. uh quite like uh, or to the extent that uh, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois did. I mean, by 1947, he was some 80 years old. Yeah, <laughs> he but hey, by 1947, this guy was 80 years old, had been a professor, a diplomat, an uh, uh, advocate, uh, <laughs> uh, you name it. This guy had been there, done that, a pro- college professor, a prolific writer, uh, political agitator oh yeah, so we're gonna get into his uh we're gonna get we're gonna get into his uh the second half of uh, where I left off at on that uh nineteen forty seven summary of uh three centuries of discrimination against the negro that he had prepared for. Uh, uh in conjunction with the NAACP to present to the United Nations back then. Yeah. Uh just a this document is very you though. Know? <laughs> this 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 thing is heavy too. I mean he <laughs> oh this is this is this is heavy stuff. He put this thing together to present to the United Nations in uh seeking Redress uh, for uh, uh, for the injustices here that uh, we uh, had experienced uh, since that Civil War here in the country. Yeah, yeah right here, and uh, sure enough, the American de- our delegation, the government, uh, prevented uh, uh, our own delegation there prevented him from uh, getting that thing to the floor of the uh, United Nations for uh, any business. Uh, they prevented that thing from being presented to the floor of the United Nations there to be taken up as business with really. Yeah, our own delega- de- uh, delegation to the United Nations did, American delegation. They, uh, they didn't want to have they were still, uh, ended now, still trying to hide the racism and the, the discrimination that was going on in the country there. And, the, uh, so the United Nations never took up, uh, his grief or the P's grief, our grief, uh, at that time in 1947. Ten countries did ask for a draft of that, uh, summary to read, and uh, none of them disagreed with, uh, uh, what he uh, had laid out in that, uh, talking about uh, the 300 years of, uh, of racial injustice here in the country, and uh, so we're going to take up, we're going to take that thing up. We, last week we didn't know how long it was going to take. But last week, half of well, we got through half of it took us about the last uh, hour of the show. So we're going to we're going to come back after the break. Hey y'all, it's about uh, wow, it's eight o'clock here. We're going to take another quick pause and come back after the break and get right into uh, uh, three centuries of discrimination against the Negro by W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, a summary of that thing that uh, he put together for the United Nations in 1947. Uh, we're going to uh, – y'all who uh, caught me last week <laughs> – Hey, if y'all caught last week's show, you heard the first part of uh, the summary that W.A.B. Du Bois, I tell you, it's a rare uh, fan. Y'all ain't going to find it, but it's going to be in my book. It's going to be in uh, the Hushmo's book, Racism and Hate and American Reality, coming out soon. It'll be one of the only places you'll be able to find it. It's an important document. It's an important part of our history. You can't Google it. It won't come up on the Internet. If you Google it, you ain't going to be able to find it. It's one of the few things you can't find by Googling it. I guarantee you, you won't find it. If you go out there on that Internet and Google uh, this thing by W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, dealing with the United Nations in 1947, you will not find this document out there. But you're going to be able to find it. In my new book, it's a rare piece of work uh, history here. Yeah. So we, we're gonna, but oh yeah, my show. Go to my website, hushmoblack dot com, hushmo I got an archive there for you all. The Facebook friends, how y'all doing? What's up? Hey, uh, Yeah, go to my website because i got all my shows archived. You can pull that thing down and listen to a last week's show at your leisure, and you'll uh, be able to uh, uh, catch up with where uh, I'll be after the break uh, uh, dealing with uh, uh, this summary by W.E.B. Du Bois that he put together for the United Nations back in 1947. Seeking uh, reparation for American Rapids at that time. Uh, We're going to pick it up after the break, y'all. Y'all hang in there. You got me and Hushma. We'll be right back.
1: Advocating on your behalf, you're listening to the Hushma Black Forum. Tell your friends about us. Saturdays, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., right here in cyberspace.
2: It's about uh, about eight minutes after eight. Time is flying by when you're having fun out here on Blog Talk. Uh, oh, yeah, we come to you on Blog Talk. we we got a call in, 888-588-3814. Anybody want to get in and uh, holler at the Hushmore? We, we don't take many calls out here. We like to talk out at <laughs> at the audience. Not, not because we... Uh, all that but uh but we will if, if if anybody you know really got something important to say and everybody's stuff is important they think it is that's take they, do, they, 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 I they call from time to time we got a free number free call in one eight 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 five eight eight three eight one four. 588 3814 this hush call in number direct call in. You can get in. We got somebody to take the phone call for you. we got to screen y'all before we bring you on the air live. Now we're gonna get you right out here talking. <laughs> we gotta see. We gotta see what you're talking about before we get you out on the on the live uh, on the live uh, wire here. Yeah, that's, that's what everybody do. We're unique in that. Yeah, we we try to follow protocol out here, you We ain't been no real you know, this you know, you don't don't call you don't call, uh, you don't call in the right <laughs> Think you gonna come right on the air, dude? <laughs> we ain't no different. <laughs> we follow. We ain't no different. Yeah, we uh. Um. <laughs> wow. We we, we just glancing that uh corner myrtle's work and how you know, the gun of myrtle used a lot of uh different resources and putting together that study, uh, An American Dilemma, The Negro Problem in Modern Democracy, that uh, he headed up in the late uh, 1930s. uh, Well, it was a six-year study that ran from 1938 to 1944. But he used a lot of uh, work uh, uh, by uh, some of the uh, permanent authorities on race relations here in the country prior. And uh, a lot of it he put together. in in that study, that some 1,500-page study that uh, he published in uh, 1944. Uh, uh, It's just an amazing piece of work. Uh, He used everybody from uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. uh, Quite a bit of his stuff is in there. And uh, Ralph Bunch, uh, 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 just a... Hey, Benjamin E. He Mays, uh, just a whole group of Charles Welton uh, uh, Johnson, uh, just a whole bunch of uh, intellectual experts at the time. We got, got them all together and uh, uh, put all all this stuff uh, uh, and brought it together in one uh, uh, excellent piece of work. Uh, you know, talking about the American uh, dilemma back then with uh, uh uh the negro. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. It, it, it's just amazing, uh the things that uh We've endured here uh, in this country, looking at our history. It's just amazing. Hey, y'all, we're going to... Hey, it's about uh, 13 after... After hour eight here on the hospital Black Forum, y'all, we're going to, like I said, pick up... This uh, is rat out of uh, my book, uh, Racism and Hate. y'all. It's a summary of... Uh, it's a sum- summary of, uh, of uh, a body of work that uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, Dr. W.E. Du Bois, had uh, titled Three Centuries of Discrimination Against the Negro. Uh, this summary uh, was published, first published in 1947 in the Crisis Magazine, and uh, that's the magazine of uh, the NAACP uh, read a magazine, by the way, y'all. might uh, may want to check it out to uh, uh, get your uh, copy of it, get your subscription to it. The Crisis Magazine. It's been around since 1910. Founded by W.E.B. Du Bois, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I told you this guy was a prolific writer, y'all. This is a uh, summary what, uh, put together to the United Nations here. We're going to take off where we left off. Uh, it's about halfway through that summary, talking about uh, the 12 million or so of Americans of uh, uh, African descent that was in the country and how they had been, uh, their 14 uh, Amendment rights and civil rights had, had been taken away uh, uh, by the separate equal laws here in the country. Then it gets down talking about the divide between um, uh, free labor. Then came the inevitable fight between free labor and democracy on the one hand and slave labor with its huge profits on the other. Black slaves were the spearhead of this fight. They were the first in America to stage sit-in strikes to slow up and sabotage the work of the plantation. They revolted time and time again, and no matter what recorded history may say, they enacted laws against slavery revolt unanswerable testimony as to why those revolts meant all testimony as to what uh, these revolts meant all over America. The slaves themselves, especially called the whole slave uh, system by escape from slavery. It was a fugitive slave more than the slave revolt which finally threatened investment and income in the organization for helping fugitive slaves to free northern Negroes and their white friends in the guise of an underground movement was of tremendous influence. Finally, it was a Negro soldier as a co fighter with the white whites for independence from the British economic empire which began emancipation. The British for his help and the colonialists against their first impulse. The British bid for his help and the colonialists against their first impulse had to bid in return and virtually promised the Negro soldier freedom after the revolution. The Revolutionary War. It was the protection mm-hmm. of American Negro settlers as well as white that the War of 1812 was precipitated and after independence from England was accomplished, freedom for the black laboring class and enfranchisement and for whites and blacks was in sight. In the meantime, however, white labor had continued to regard the United States as a place of refuge, as a place for free land, for the continuous employment in high ways, for freedom of thought and faith. It was here, however, that employers intervened, not because of any moral obliquity, but because the industrial revolution based upon the crops raised by slave labor in the Caribbean and in the southern United States was made possible by world trade and a new astonishing technique and finally was made triumph by a vast transportation of slave labor due to the British slave trade in the 18th and early 19th century. Pause. We we pause and we, we're going over. This is heavy, y'all. This is uh, a, re, uh, a timeline of uh, blacks in this country over some 300 years and uh, the discrimination uh, that they had suffered uh, put together by W.E.B. Du Bois in 1947 to present to the uh, United Nations is what we are into right now. This is W.E.B. Du Bois in 1947 in a summary of his uh, uh, study done on uh, three centers of discrimination against the Negro. This new mass of slaves, because competitors of white labor drove white labor for refuge into the arms of employers who interest was founded on slave labor. The doctrine of race inferiority was used to convince white labor that they had the right to be free and to vote, while the Negroes must be slaves or depress the wage of whites. Western free soil became additional rule and compensation if it could be restricted to free labor. On the other hand, the fight for the slaveholders against uh, democracy increased with the spirit of the wealth and power of the cotton kingdom. Through political power based on slaves, they became the dominant political force of the United States. They were successful in expanding into Mexico and tried to penetrate the Caribbean. Finally, they demanded for slavery, a part of the free soil of the West. And because of this last excessive and, in fact, impossible effort, a civil war to preserve and extend slavery in peace. This fight for slave labor was echoed in the law. The free Negro was systematically discouraged, disfranchised, and reduced to serfdom. He became by law easy victim of the kidnapper and liable to treatment by a future slave. The church influenced by wealth. And respectability was predominantly on the side of the slave owner. <laughs> and effort was made to make degradation of the Negro as a race. Filed by uh, the Supreme Court decision. Uh, Paul that did occur to Yeah. Hey, uh, we're just commenting here on what we're talking about here. Uh, he goes on to say that, uh, when we read that paragraph, the fight for slave labor was echoed in the law. The freed Negro was systematically discouraged, disfranchised, and reduced to serfdom. He became, by law, the easy victim of the kidnapper and liable to treatment as a fugitive slave. The church, influenced by wealth and respectability, was predominantly on the side of the slave owner. An effort was made to make the degradation of the Negro as a race title by the Supreme Court decision. But from the beginning, the outcome of the Civil War was inevitable, and this not mainly on account of the predominant wealth and power of the North, it was because of the clear fact that so the slave uh, economy was built on black labor. If at any time the slaves or any large part of them as workers ceased to support the South, if even more decisively, as fighters, they joined the North, there was no way in the world for the South to win. Just as soon as slaves became spies for the invading Northern armies, laborers for their camps and fortifications, and finally produced 200,000 trained and efficient soldiers with arms in their hands, <laughs> with the possibility of a million more, the fate of the slave south was sealed. The fate of the slave south was sealed. Now, I contend, right here, start right there. In September of 1862, Abraham Lincoln wrote uh, that uh, Emancipation Proclamation, y'all. Oh yeah, he he put that proclamation together in, in September of uh, 1862. Now, it didn't come uh, uh into effect until the following January uh, 1 of uh, 1863, but he issued that thing, he wrote it uh uh, uh in 18 uh in September of that year uh, of 1862 uh, in uh General Lee and General, uh, 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 Jefferson Davis, President of the Confederacy, they knew he issued that, uh, proclamation stating that, uh, that he was freeing all the slaves, uh, in the South and they were free to join the Union Army. At that time, any smart general would know. <laughs> and by the time, uh, uh, January 1st, I came along, hell, they had some 200,000 soldiers, <laughs> black soldiers in that, and that, uh, that Union Army yeah. Victory, however, brought to limit. Victory, however, brought to limit. If victory meant full economic uh, freedom for labor in the South, white and black, if it meant land and education and eventually votes during the slave empire, was doomed, and the province of Northern Industry built on the Southern Slave Foundation would also be seriously curtailed. Northern Industry had a stake in the cotton kingdom and in the cheap slave labor that supported it. It had expanded for war industries during the fighting. Was encouraged by government subs- subsidy and eventually was protected by a large tariff rampart. When war profits declined, there was still a prospect of tremendous post war profits on cotton and other products of southern agriculture. Therefore, what the North wanted was not freedom and higher wage <laughs> therefore this man W.E. Du Bois he gets to the the heart of it y'all therefore what the North wanted was not freedom and higher wage for black labor but it's control under such forms of law as would keep it cheap <laughs> hey y'all <laughs> uh it wasn't just the white races in the South who had their foot on our throats, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, listen, it wasn't just the, the KKK down in Georgia who had their foot on our
1: throats, yeah.
2: Oh, they were the most visible and the closest to it, no doubt. But those northern industrialists, yeah, they had a, a stake. They had a stake in seeing to it that, uh, Black labor stayed cheap uh, through the law. (laughs) That's what he said. Therefore, what the North wanted was not freedom and higher wage for black labor, but its control under such forms of law as would keep it cheap and also stop its open competition with northern labor. Hey. <laughs> oh. Therefore, what the North wanted was not freedom and higher wage for black labor, but its control under such forms of law as would keep it cheap and also stop its open competition with northern labor. The moral protest of abolitionists must be
1: appeased
2: for probability but profitable industry was determined to control wage and government. But, okay, the moral protest of abolitionists must be appeased. But profitable industry was determined to control wages and government. After the Civil War, you know, that's what he's talking about. After the Civil War and blacks, uh, labor trying to figure out the whites power uh, to be in the country, both south and north, is uh, trying to come to grips with what and how uh, they were to keep the price of the black labor. Now, they had been emancipated. They, they was under the law technically free. But how to keep that black labor, which had been free for some 250 uh, years, <laughs> had been free, how to keep it as low and cheap uh, as they could under the law so that it wouldn't
1: compete
2: with the white free labor of the North. So you have what, what you have at work. Here, you got the whites uh, up north, industrial uh, capitalists, uh, in cahoots by uh, this uh, and this did come about. It came about with the separate-equal laws, what they were about, and the Jim Crow laws, what all this stuff was about, y'all, controlling the wage labor, controlling the labor cost of uh, freed blacks here in the country. That's what it was about, That's what it, the separate-equal laws. Along with the sh- discrimination uh, from a uh, social uh, 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 perspective here in the South, the North uh, had their... Uh, uh, Biases uh, and their uh, 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 desire to keep blacks uh, uh, as inferior citizens here, and to keep their wages uh, 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 as low as possible to produce uh, the raw materials that uh, their industry uh, so uh, sorely needed. Uh, that was produced in uh, southern agriculture in the country. So they was in on this thing. They got together with the, uh, deal of uh, the southern, uh, plantation owners here around 1776. All, uh, the, the Dixiecrats sitting the Congress had brought that thing to a standstill, you know. brought it to a standstill under Ulysses S. Grant, uh, brought on the greatest, uh, depression the country had ever seen. One less than some over 12 years, I believe. That first Great Depression. We, uh. It was all about uh, them uh, uh, successfully blocking the distribution of some 46 million acres to the free blacks that were set aside in the Silver Homestead Act of 1866. They successfully blocked the transfer of that property to blacks. Uh, in retrospect, it was one of the worst moves that uh, they could have ever done. They could have ever done. It was one of the worst moves that uh, the racists and the uh, powers to be uh, ever made in terms of addressing uh, that so-called Negro problem that uh, um, Gunnar uh was talking about here back in the 40s. Uh, that... Uh, W.E. Du Bois was writing about one of the greatest uh, shortcomings of their uh, uh, foresight was uh, preventing the blacks from acquiring that land and allowing them to uh, uh, have ownership of a piece of land, of this uh, great, great country, uh, as reparation. Yeah, as reparation for some. 250 no, of fifty years of slavery at that It would have been the ideal uh, um, an ideal way for them to uh show a lot of um of uh faithful intent to uh write a wrong. Oh yeah. That that just would have been a uh Another and a faithful attempt to uh, correct uh, uh, to correct that rule. They didn't do that. They they didn't do that. Not, not only did they refuse uh, to allow the uh, five million ex-slaves to acquire the forty-six million acres, but they also uh, refused to allow them to buy. Uh, Land otherwise, through restrictions on, uh, on the land that they could uh, purchase. So, it was like, damn if you do it, damn if you don't. The, the blacks, my family, here in Georgia, had all the skills in the world to develop, uh, make use of, uh, tame that 46 million acres. They had all the skills here in the South to do that with. Well, but yet, the powers that be knew that if they allowed those folks to get that land, they would have no work for All those folks who run to that land and make it work for them and make that land work for them. Uh, they couldn't have that. Yet, they didn't want those black folks mixing in their uh, social society. So they didn't want them to go to their own uh, plot of land, yet they didn't want them to uh, uh, integrate, uh, assimilate uh, fully into a white, a white society here. Uh, so we guess we 22 going here, yeah? You don't want uh, the blacks to leave yet. You don't want uh, them to stay with you. Uh, so we're just going to take your 14th Amendment rights away and... Uh, Uh, as best we can, separate you out of social society, but uh, don't allow you to acquire anything of your own. Uh, That would uh, suggest you're somehow uh, our equal. (laughs) Hey, us, what happened? Hey, uh, wow. What the only one was freedom and higher was not freedom of higher wages. It says right here, therefore what the North wanted was not freedom, and higher wage for black labor, but its control under such forms of law as would keep it cheap, and also stop its open competition with Northern labor. The moral protest of abolitionists must be appeased. The profitable industry was determined control wages and government the capitalists yeah up north, they was a, they was a they were determined to control the price of labor here in this country and they did and they did and the government <laughs> oh yeah they were determined to control what Waging and government, the result was an attempt at reconstruction in which black labor established schools, tried to divide up the land, and put a new social legislation in force. On the other hand, the powers of southern landowners soon joined with northern industry to disenfranchise the Negro, keep him from access to free. Land for the capital and to build up the present caste system for blacks founded on color discrimination, peonies, intimidation, and mob violence. It is this fact that underlies many of the contradictions in the social and political development of the United States since the Civil War. Despite our resources and our miraculous technique, despite comparatively high wages paid many of our workers and their consequent high standard of living, we are nevertheless ruled by wealth, monopoly, and big business organizations to an astounding degree. Our railway transportation is built upon when you know economic injustice, both to passengers, shippers, and to different sections of the land, the monopoly of land and natural resources throughout the United States, both in cities and in farming districts, is a disgraceful aftermath of the vast land heritage with which this nation started. In 1876, the domestic process of government was crippled throughout the whole nation. This came about not simply through the disenfranchisement of Negroes, but through the fact that the political powers of the disenfranchised Negroes into a large number of equally disfranchised whites was preserved as the basis of political power. System of government was crippled throughout the whole nation. This came about not simply through the disenfranchisement of Negroes, but through the fact that the political power of the disenfranchised Negro and of a large number of equally disenfranchised whites was preserved as the basis of political power. But the wielding of that power was left in the hands and under the control of the successors to the planter's dynasty in the South. Oh, this is heavy, y'all. This is so heavy. Yeah, it was very, huh In seventeen eight in eighteen seventy six the domestic process of government was crippled throughout the whole nation. This came about not simply through the disfranchisement disfranchisement of Negroes, but through the fact that the political power of the disfranchised Negroes and of a large number of equally disfranchised whites was preserved as the basis of political power. But the wielding of that power was left in the hands and under the control of the successors of the planet dynasty in the South. Let us examine these facts more carefully. The United States has always professed to be a democracy. She has never wholly obtained her idea, but slowly she has approached it. The privilege of voting has in a time been widened by abolishing limitations of birth, religion, and lack of property. After the Civil War, which abolished slavery, The nation, in gratitude to the black soldiers and laborers who helped win that war, sought to admit to the suffrage all persons without distinction of race, color, or previous conditions of servitude. They were warned by the great leaders of abolition, like Sumner, Stevens, and Douglas, that this could only be effective if the freemen were given schools, land, and some minimum of capital. A freemen's Bureau f- furnished these prerequisites to effective citizenship. Was planned and put into partial operation, but Congress and the nation, weary of the cost of war, eager to get back to profitability, to restore friendly civil government in the South. The enfranchised Freeman, 75% illiterate, without land or tools, was thrown into a competitive industry with a ballot in his hand. A herculean effort helped by philanthropy in his own heart. The Negro built a school system, bought land, incorporated and starting a new economic order in the South. In a generation, he had reduced his illiteracy by
1: half,
2: and had become a wage-earning laborer in sharecropping. Labor sure he still was handicapped by poverty, disease, crime, but nevertheless the rise of the American Negro from slavery in 1860 to freedom in 1880, has few parallels in modern history. However, opposition to any democracy, which included the Negro race, on any terms was so strong in the former slave South, and found so much sympathy in large parts of the rest of the nation that despite notable improvements in the conditions of the Negro by every standard of social measurement, the effort to deprive Negroes of the right to vote succeeded. At first he was driven from the polls in the South by mobs and violence, and then he was openly cheated, finally by a gentleman's agreement with the North. The Negro was disenfranchised in the South by a series of laws, methods of administration, court decisions, and general public policy, so that today, three-fourths of the Negro population of the nation is deprived of the right to
1: vote by
2: open and declared policy. Most persons seem to regard this. That's simply unfortunate for the Negro. As a private, modern working class of the women's rights for self-protection and opportunity for progress, this is true, as has been shown for educational opportunities, discrimination in the world, health protection, and in the courts. But the situation is far more serious than this. is disfranchisement, of the American Negro makes the functioning of all democracy in the nation difficult. And as democracy fails to function in the leading democracy in the world, it fails in the world. This paradox contradicts sinners. (coughs) This paradox and contradiction enters into our actions, thoughts, and plans. After the First World War, we were alienated from the proposed League of Nations because of sympathy for imperialism and because of raised sympathy to Japan because we objected to the compulsory protection of minorities in Europe, which might lead to similar demands upon the United States. Oh, this is heavy, you we uh this is the United States coming out of World War One, y'all. The paradox and contradictions in and into our actions, thoughts, and plans after the first world war. We were alienated from the proposed League of Nations. Remember the United States didn't join the League of Nations uh after World War One and this is the reason. He points it out. W.E.B. the boy points it out right here. We were alienated from the proposed legal nation because of sympathy for imperialism and because of race antipathy to Japan and because we objected to the compulsory protection of minorities in Europe, which might lead to similar demands upon the United States. We joined Great Britain in determined refusal to recognize equality of races and nations, our tendency was toward isolation until we saw a chance to make inflated profits from the warmth which came upon the world. This effort of Americans to make profit out of the disaster in Europe was one of the causes of the depression of the 30s. But today the paradox again looms after the Second World War. We have recruitments of race hate and caste restrictions in the United States and of these dangerous tendencies, not simply for the United States itself, but for all nations. When will nations learn that their enemies are quite as often within their own country as without them? It is not Russia that threatens but Bilbo and Rankin's internal injustice done to one's brothers is far more dangerous than the aggression of strangers from abroad. Finally, it must be stressed that discrimination of which we complain is not simply discrimination against poverty and ignorance, which the world by long custom is used to see. The discrimination practice in the United States is Practice against American Negroes, in spite of wealth, training, and character, one of the contributors of this statement happens to be a white man, but the other three, in the editor himself, are subject to Jim Crow laws to that to denial of the right to vote to unequal chance to earn a living of the right to enter many places of public entertainment. Supported by their taxes. In other words, our complaint is mainly against discrimination based mainly on color of skin. And it is this that we denounced as not only indefensible, but
1: barbaric.
2: This, <laughs> hey, uh, that's it. Hey, now this is in 1947 documenting uh, pretty much uh, what had transpired uh, up to that point, particularly after that civil war was over and how uh both the North and the South contrived uh together to uh disenfranchise to disfranchise the uh American uh, of African descent, uh, their uh, 14th Amendment rights to uh, uh, exist equally in the uh, society under the 14th Amendment, and their equal right to vote under the 15th Amendment, uh he puts it out here. That document had it gotten to the newly formed United Nations their civil rights division back in nineteen forty seven I suggested, and uh, do believe that uh that uh we'd have fared much better. Uh in uh, uh, dealing with uh, the overthrow of uh, the separate equal laws in this country because uh, uh, the world uh, attention would have been uh, thrown directly on uh, what was going on here in a much more uh, forceful way than uh, our ability to do it alone internally at that time, even though we had a lot of, lot of white internal help here uh, focus of uh, the, the national community on uh, uh, race relations here in the country in 1947 would have been of immense uh, effort, a uh, help to uh, the NAACP and Charles Hamilton and uh, Thurgood Marshall, their legal team, uh, fighting for uh, those of uh, Leslie, which uh, did come about in 1954, some seven years later, uh, we believe uh wholeheartedly that had uh we had uh the uh pressure of the uh united nations at that time we held a lot of power It was a new uh a new uh, a new formed uh national uh, international body that uh we thought was going to do or set up to do great great things in terms of uh uh policing uh its uh nominations, uh in human rights uh, uh in human rights. And you were one of the leading uh violators of human rights uh, at that time Thanks. Yeah. So uh oh this is heavy, uh yeah. we break it down. We want y'all to well first of all, be able to look up for my book Racism and Hate in American Reality you're gonna be able to find a copy of uh this summary to the United Nations by Dr. W. E. B. Du Bois in that uh in that uh book. <laughs> hey the, Hushman was the only one who got it, y'all. Racism and hate in American reality is the title coming to you. You think it uh is that proposal for the time and uh I provide food for thought for our tell it at <laughs> in our community who's out there advocating on our half every day. They need all the ammunition they could get. Hopefully this would be just uh, a uh, further food for that uh, for the uh, for them to uh, ingest uh racism and hate and American reality. Uh, coming to you soon, y'all. Hey y'all we uh just about up against it, y'all. Yeah? It's five minutes to nine here in the ATL here. Boy, how time flies when you're having fun and we uh <clears throat> we are so looking forward to uh uh getting out uh, with uh, our readers to discuss our work and uh provide a uh, some personal uh, perspective on it. Uh, to engage in debate on it uh, with a. uh the country at large, yeah. Really. Yeah, it's for everybody. We we are sure there's gonna be some uh, just listening to my peers. <laughs> I know it's gonna be uh, some some questions about it. We're not a metadata, not trained author, a journalist, anything like that. We we're wrong. Unfiltered by academic <laughs> academia. <laughs> Our uh perspective is unfiltered by academia, you know. We don't we don't know anything about writing. From a professional standpoint, oh, yeah, we we think we uh, did a pretty good job of recording uh, uh, history. Oh, yeah, because oh, yeah. yeah, you ain't got to be no journal to uh, write and talk about history. Your yeah, history, especially. <laughs> oh, no. And uh, we think we did a pretty good job of that. Uh, we'll let the reader decide as to the. Uh, that? Whether, uh, whether there's any uh, uh literary uh, value uh to, to my work. Uh, my my main uh, goal is to provide uh, a uh, a uh, depository of uh, some uh, bit of uh, unique uh, information that uh, can be used by, uh, I'll tell it, to uh, make our uh, argument uh, for justice, to make our argument for justice here in the country. Yeah, that's what what I write about, and that's what I write for. My aim is to just be a small part of uh, uh, solving the the problem of uh, injustice in our uh, society. Yeah, we... Hey, uh, we're going to. Wow, just about leave it there, yeah. We, we're we going to be back next week. Same place, same station out here on Blog Talk, yeah. November 30th. Our last day in November. You yeah. guys gotten away from us. But we'll be back out here next week, same time, yeah. 7 to 9 on Saturday. You can find the Hushman out here every every Saturday night at that time. We uh what do we got coming up for you? We're gonna still be talking about it, uh our new book Racism and Hate and American Reality until we get it out to you so we can uh really engage you in dial in the conversation about uh Pitch Cut content. And uh yeah. Hey uh until then we're gonna Leave this thing right there uh, for a friend about us. Uh, uh, and uh, be sure to keep up with the release of my new book uh, on my website, hashmoreblack.com. Uh, you can follow us on our Facebook. And, uh, yeah, y'all, until then, we're going to leave it right here. Until next week, y'all, uh, y'all be good and be careful out there. And have a, a real... Uh, Happy Thanksgiving, and don't uh, eat too much turkey. Hey, we, <laughs> we, we might fry a turkey this year. Yeah. We ain't promising nobody, but we'll uh, <laughs> see. Hey, y'all, until next week, ciao.
1: The Hushmo Black Forum, advocated on your behalf by covering news and events affecting the African-American community. Check us out at the Hushmo Black Forum www.blogtalkradio.com